Greetings everyone, Lynn here. This is Lessons from Leaders, which is a podcast of Lynn Gilliland Consulting. And in this episode, we have Anne Lynham Goddard, the President and CEO of Child Fund in the US. <clears throat> Such an excellent guest. She talks, the range that we cover is the, dealing with COVID, how they reacted to it, how they found communication was the one of the main key things of getting, of keeping staff informed and um, doing well during times of COVID. We talked about her, her, the huge strategy of reaching 100 million children and families and is the president and CEO of Child Fund. She's been in that position for 13 years after having spent I think it's about 20 years in overseas positions with a similar organization. So this is part one of this series of With Her. There's two parts. Please do enjoy this and don't miss part two. Um, Anne Goddard, Anne Lynham Goddard, everyone. You'll enjoy it. Thanks. So welcome. Here we are with Anne from Child Fun, and we are so happy, Anne, to have you here. Uh, I've known the work of Child Fund for a long time, and uh, I have actually for a couple years been trying to get you on the podcast, so we finally made it happen, and thank you so much for coming. So welcome. Thank you, Lynn. Thanks for having me here today. Happy to be here. Thank you. And right before, um, before we jump into stuff, why don't you give us a little, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you came to be the CEO of Child Fund. I went as a Peace Corps volunteer a few years after college, went to Kenya, learned about the whole world of international development, came back and got my master's and went overseas. And I spent 20 years total, almost 20 years total, living and working in five different countries. My degree was in public health. So initially I started in health programming and then I eventually got into general management. And I came back to the States and I got recruited to have a have a great opportunity to be the CEO of Child Fund. They were looking for someone who had actually lived the work overseas. And so I fit that bill and they fit me. So it was great. And so I think you and I were talking about at a previous, our previous conversation on how you think it's so important that you have lived the work, that you've been in the field, that you've been doing the work that now you're, you're leading. So. I think it gives me a lot of credibility to staff. Mm-hmm staff overseas in the 20 countries, 20 or so countries we work in, and also our staff in headquarters who don't get to go overseas, but, you know, know that's where the heart of our work is. And uh, I speak the language of both now, both our fundraisers in the U.S. and also our work overseas. So I think it's given me a lot of credibility, but it's also obviously helped me in my job. I just understand. Um, I've worked in development and I also worked in emergencies. So I understand both settings that our staff face. And how are you doing right now in leading in times of COVID and racial injustice and actually election turmoil too? My God, 2020 was quite a year, wasn't it? (laughs) It was a year that will never, hopefully will never be repeated in, in my lifetime or anyone else's lifetime. We're doing okay. We launched a major COVID-19 response plan. Um, and, you know, the situation is not good in countries, but I feel good about what we're doing and helping kids and family members. Um, we also launched um, our own uh, DEI, Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Initiative, got a group of staff together, really wanted it to be staff driven. 
and they've come up with a plan of how they think we can improve as an organization, both within, our, within ourselves, but also in the work we do. And we'll be mainstreaming that into um, our work next year. And the election, well, I'm just glad it's over. That's all I can say. <laughs> so what have you found about having to lead now? Like, was mm -hmm. it all different things out of you? Of you? Yeah. Well, certainly the whole COVID situation, we have had a much bigger emphasis on um, staff care than we ever had before. I felt like we were always in a good organization taking care of staff, but obviously the the uh, stresses, but also the risk for staff increased considerably. So myself and my executive team, we've, that's been almost a constant item on our agenda. You know, we have different issues for our overseas staff and our U.S.-based staff. We've done a lot of pulse surveys for our staff to find out what their stress is and how we can alleviate it. And, um, you know, we can't make everything perfect, but I'm really pleased about what we've done. We've gotten good feedback from staff that they feel cared for. Um, you know, mostly we're looking at the stress and how we can reduce the stress. Obviously, we, like everybody else, stopped traveling. That was a no-brainer. But how can we keep our work going? And since we work through local partner organizations, we have been able to keep a lot of our work going in different ways. But it's really that, that emphasis on staff care, I think, has really risen to the top for me as an issue that we have to deal with in new ways. So how do you think that leaders need to be leading now? So those are programs that you're doing and, and efforts you're undertaking, but what about the attributes that leaders need, might need to exhibit yeah. now more or differently? I think we have to be more available mm -hmm. um, and admit what we know and what we don't know. And so, obviously, commuting, communicating to staff was a bigger issue than ever. I've done more video conferences with staff, more all-staff meetings, more written communications. Um, and, again, telling them what I know when I know it. Um, so, because there was a lot, a lot of uncertainty, obviously. And the biggest uncertainty in the beginning was, for a lot of our staff, were we going to lose our jobs, right? Everybody was afraid that resources would plummet and we would have to have big layoffs, et cetera. So I was honest with staff. When I knew what I knew, I shared it with them. And I think it, I got, we got a lot of positive feedback. We as a group, I think it was the whole executive team effort to that we did a good job in that. Um, so I think that was, that was a little bit leading more transparently maybe than we've even done in the past because we needed that, I think, as an organization to try to pick up topics earlier, share information earlier, even if it's incomplete information. Right now, like we're dealing with coming back to the office, right? And all the uncertainty about that when offices reopen and how will the new workplace be? And I don't know all the answers, but we're telling the staff, we're talking about it. What's your opinion? Mm -hmm. Right? To figure it out. So in part, it was, or what, what I was thinking when you were talking about that was, is that something that you would, a learning that you want to take with you? when things go back to normal, like that over-communicating, or is that it just needs it for special times? I think some of it will continue. I mean, uh, I'm, I've always been a pretty good communicator, but like everyone else, you can fall into bad habits at times when other things get busy. And I think we put a discipline back into it, um, and I think that will continue. I, I really do. I think it's good. I think people... Um, what I, what I 
say and think about is there's a zillion different decisions that staff, a zillion is an exaggeration, but a lot of decisions that staff make every day. And the more they understand the big picture of where we're going, they can make better decisions. Mm. I think it be good for us to continue the more disciplined approach to regular communication than we had in the past. That's kind of where I was going, because as you're talking about it, whenever I work with organizations or teams, communication, as you know, is always one of the areas for growth. Um, And if one of the learnings from this this pandemic, the whole thing, all three things that we mentioned, is wow, over communicating, over communicating works, then why not keep doing it? So I like what you're saying about it makes sense to me that the more information people have, the better decisions they could make. It just takes a lot of effort, right? It takes a lot. It does. Of, you have to think about what it is that you know or what people need, may be needing to know and then carve out the time. Mm-hmm. And before the pandemic hit, we had just finished what we called an organizational effectiveness project. We reviewed the whole organization in different ways to see if we were fit for purpose. And that was a real change management. We took a very much change management approach to the whole thing and had a dedicated communication person. And we did a really good job on communications. And I knew that because we were scheduling another call for some overseas staff and they said, no, Anne, that's okay. We know enough. You don't, we don't need to talk this time. <laughs> so I was a great indication that we were over-communicating. Um, but it, uh, so out of that project actually grew the curation of an internal communications person. We didn't have a person totally de- de- uh, designated or uh, focused on internal communications. So that's helped our discipline during that pandemic that we have this person now. Um, and, uh, and it's improved communication overall. I like the the the, uh, the the temperature check is when people stop. Information. I know, I know. I thought that was wonderful. You know, I can take that criticism anytime. <laughs> and when you look ahead to 2021, like what do you see coming up that you wish you knew more of, of or, or better skilled at? Well, we all want to know what a post-COVID world is going to look like right? We all know that um, the statistics for the countries that we work in, in the global south, don't look good, right? The things that Child Fund's concerned with, the number of children surviving past their fifth birthday, that's decreased. You know, the number of children that will graduate from grammar school or finish secondary school, that's going to decrease. The amount of violence that is happening in the households to children from early marriages to force, you know, going to work rather than school, all those kind of things are increasing. So what can we do to fast track regaining that loss? Mm. I don't know what all the answers are to that, obviously, but to me, that's a big unknown. We should be able to regain some of what we've lost because we learned a lot from implementing for the last 20 years when a lot of improvements have been made. Um, but how can we fast track it and how can we scale it up? That's what Child Fund is really looking at now, how to scale um, and trying to take that seriously, looking at the issues of scaling and what it takes to scale and looking at scaling best practices and things like that, because I think that's going to be needed. So there's a lot of unknowns. I think the other thing that I mentioned earlier is um, the workplace and how that's permanently going to change from all this working at home and working virtually. What do we need to do together? And, what do, and that we need face-to-face 
in 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 person. I want I want to say skin to skin because that's bad, but you know what I mean. One to one presence to do, and one is better done that we give people more flexibility to do it outside. It's going to change the workplace. I don't know how. We're figuring this out as we go along. I think everybody is, and I think it's just important for leaders not to jump to any. Uh, conclusions to kind of pace yourself because you're learning as you're doing. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel. And and with that, you also um, have to increase one's comfort level with m- making mistakes because there's going to be mistakes, right? You yeah. have missteps. You had the best of intentions and it didn't work out the way you had hoped. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. We try to be disciplined. For example, um, uh, if you, starting in July this year, which was our new fiscal year, um, we said, okay, we need to invest in testing some things now that we think that we can do at greater scale um, and will be needed um, after in a post-COVID world. So we put aside some money, we assigned some people, we had some pilots going. So it's the discipline of, and we will, we will do it, the disciplines of testing and at the end of the year, mm-hmm. viewing and honestly saying, what did we learn from this? Are some things not good and we won't go forward and some things are, we had success and we'll go forward. Um, we're trying to develop that muscle. And we're also trying to develop the muscle of starting small. Um, I'm, a, I'm a believer in uh, lean, lean approaches to things. Start small, learn, iterate, iterate, and then go big. Right. So sometimes in the nonprofit world, we're not good at that. We jump too far, all, all into something. We get excited about it, and we don't take that discipline. So we're trying to learn that as an organization. And then embracing that learnings or embracing error, embracing failures. Um, failures are only real failures if you didn't learn. If you did it over again, over again, that's a real failure. But if you failed and you learned and you moved and improved on it, then that's okay with me. Especially if we start small, right? The risk and the loss of a failure isn't so high. And, and, and uh, we're right in the middle of everything, of our discussion, and I'm watching the time. So this is, dear listeners and viewers, the end of part one with Anne. So please do listen to part two. Remember that the podcast drops every Monday. So please catch it, um, catch part two, where we're going to get into more of what Anne's thinking about such things as failure and courage. So thank you for part one and we'll see you in part two.